You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Let's take your Bible and join me in Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 in that. Uh, We are uh, beginning a uh, new series, uh, taking a look over the next four weeks at... um, the mission and vision of Galena Bible Church and uh, as your leadership as we've met and just kind of prayed about what does that look like for us and how do we move forward with that we didn't want to just implement it and then not have there be any actual like teaching on it or discussion about it so we're going to be taking the next four weeks to look at this and then uh, inviting input from you as the church family as to uh, what you think and if you think we need to uh, change or edit or critique or whatever um, as we take a look at that Uh, In the late 90s and early 2000s, for a significant portion of our congregation uh, in the Dark Ages, uh, 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 there was a movement in the church in the West that became known as uh, the Church Growth Movement. Um, I think it's a, it's one of those things that we don't. Uh, I mean, really, unless you're like in you know pastoral ministry or stuff, you know, there's not much. Uh, you, you probably don't follow along with the the, the movements in history within uh, how churches and denominations and things work. But the church growth movement was a cross-denominational movement that took place uh, mainly starting in the late '90s and throughout the the early 2000s. Uh, there were conferences and books. There became celebrity teachers and pastors that began to run with this idea that church principles and business principles shouldn't be apart from each other, that they should be uh, together. And this was kind of a, a reaction uh, to the, the fundamentalist movement, which was basically the late 60s through the 70s and uh, even early 80s. Uh, that was this um, a turning in a, a sense of we need to defend the faith, we need to defend our belief in the Bible because uh, secularization was beginning to turn away from uh, those kind of things. And so the church began to turn inward and then what they realized is, man, we're, as we're turning inward, we're not actually growing, we're not reaching people, we're not baptizing new believers, we're not engaging the culture and we need to change that. So they began to look and say, okay, well, where do we see success? Success and where we see success as as a Western society tends to be in business type of things. We point to people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and others that have built mega businesses, and we go, "What did they do that was successful? How did they uh, garner support? How did they gather customers? How did they do that?" And so then the churches began to look at those principles and say, "Well, they have a clear vision, a clear direction, and so we want to have that same kind of thing as well." And there were huge things that were taught about this uh, and uh, instead of uh, church principles and business principles being separated rather they should be fused and used to grow the church uh, and it was in this time that the concept of a vision statement or mission statements became all the rage within churches every church that you would ever didn't matter how big or small all of them were going to have some kind of vision statement some kind of something uh, that was pressing them in and oftentimes uh, proverbs chapter 28 or sorry, Proverbs chapter 29, verses 18, the beginning part of that, verse uh, 18a, became kind of the standard proof text for uh, vision statements. And it was this. Where there is no vision... Can anybody finish it? 
the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, and it was at this point in time, I'm kind of entering into ministry uh, around 2000 and uh, being at a church plant that was all, you know, the, the uh, I've dressed the exact same way for the last 30 years. And so I, I stood out because it was all these hip, trendy, and I had a guy that was coming to me on a regular basis uh, that was just adamant about what is our vision, what is our vision, how are we doing this? And it was the first time that I actually paused and looked into that Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. See, the vision that, the, uh, that Solomon was talking about there was not just something to see. It was a, a clarity of what it is that God has said. Uh, in this, this instance of saying, that this grounding into who is God and how has He revealed us and Himself and the way in which we are to live our life. You see, biblical vision is both something to see, God in His glory and Christ in His mercy. These are things that we are called uh, to see and to look at. But they are also, biblical vision is also the ability to see. Not just something to see, but the ability to see. As in the Holy Spirit in His working out of God's Word in our hearts, the repentance and transformation of faith. And so, as such, as we as Galena Bible Church want to take a look at our vision, we want to make sure that we not only give ourselves something to see, where we, we point to and say, what do we long to see Galena Bible? If we were to put forward the ideal of what we want to be and what we want to look at, if we were to answer the question, I see a day when Galena Bible Church dot dot dot. What is that? What does that thing look like? That's a picture of a vision. But not only do we want to give ourselves something to see, call it a grand vision, we see a day when every village in rural Alaska has a gospel-believing church planted in it. That's a big, lofty vision and a lofty goal. But we also desire to move in such a way that we give ourselves the ability to see through the working out of God's Word and of our obedience as we walk walk with Him uh, and in step with Him. That it's, it's one thing to see something, it's the, another thing to have the ability to see it. Those are two distinct things. We want to cast a vision before ourselves that is as beautiful as the God that we serve and as clear as His calling to us to follow Him. So, as we uh, look today... Uh, at this invitational nature of the Gospel, this is where we're beginning with. That the vision of uh, God for us as the church is to be invitational. To literally say continually, come. Uh, Psalm chapter 34, uh, verses 1-8, through 8, reads this. Uh, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Many of the Psalms don't contain any context for us. They're just the song. They're just lyrics. Uh, They may have a distinct structure to them. Many of the psalms are arranged as an acrostic, like think back when you were in elementary school and they'd have you do a a poem to your mom and A is for mom is awesome and B is she's beautiful and C, right? Like that kind of a thing. And many of them are structured that way. Other ones uh, were intended to be psalms of ascent. They were intended to be sung specifically as you were going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord either on a... uh, a high Sabbath or a specific holiday, or as you were going to offer sacrifice, they were intended to focus your mind as you were ascending the hill of the Lord to go and be with the Lord in worship. But some of the Psalms give us a prescript to tell us what was this Psalm about, when was it written, maybe why was it written, or who wrote it. And this is one of those Psalms. Um, And when you read these in the Psalms, notice I said we're going to be starting in verse 1 through 8, and then I began reading uh, a Psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech. Uh, This is not something that the English translators added to these to give us context. It's actually in the Hebrew text. It literally should be that that is the actual beginning of that verse, that verse 1 begins at the beginning of that, giving us a a picture of it. But it's important to know in the same way that when we sing songs, we don't sing the title slide, right? Uh, It's just, it's it's a part of the song, but we don't sing it. That's what this uh, is. Uh, And though it's not intended to be sung, they they give us a, a context of what the song was about, much in the same way that Martin did for us uh, as we sang that, which is a song I'd never heard before. Uh, and in First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-one, verses ten through fifteen, uh, we get the context of this. It refers us to say that when David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. This is the story of uh, when David is not king of Israel. He's already killed Goliath. We're in between those periods. Saul knows that God has put His anointing on David, that David is to be the next king of Israel, and Saul hates him for it and has been pursuing him. And we've had this kind of uh, manic uh, life that Saul has been living in hatred towards David, where he tries to kill him, and then he forgives him and restores him, and then he tries to kill him again. And finally, David is at the point of of utter desperation. He's by himself. He's fearful for his life. And he's so fearful that he flees out of, uh, uh, away from the place of uh, Saul and he flees to uh, the land of Gath. Anybody know why him going to Gath might be an odd thing? 
Where was, where was Goliath from? Gath. Gath. So David went to the place of the, the thing that made him the terror of the Philistines. He went to Gath. How scared must he have been to have left his people and gone to the place that he had killed their chief and, and uh, their champion and try to find refuge there. And it says that as he was there, the king heard that David was there. And so David was afraid, oh no, now I'm going to get killed. So David decided that he was going to act crazy like a madman and let drool run down his beard and he was going to be scrawling unintelligible marks on the door so that the king would look at him and say, do I need any more crazy people in my kingdom? Get this guy out of here. And that's exactly what happened. And so the, the, this psalm is written in the context of that, that David <coughs> wrote this out of that kind of an experience. The psalm embodies inv- the invitational nature that God has called us to as His people. To come and see. To taste and see. To experience. It's an invitation. Christianity is a picture of invitation. It is God inviting us into relationship with Him. It's a, it's a distinction from all other things uh, or all other world religions because all other world religions say uh, God has not reached down to us. Uh, it is our job to try to ascend to Him. But Christianity says that God has come to us by His Word. God has come to us in person, in flesh, in Jesus. And He has invited us to be in relationship with Him. And so this picture of invitation, this picture of come to us, uh, is a call that we as the church are to be an invitational people in three kind of specific ways that we're going to look at uh, here from this text. We're going to be invitational in the come to corporately worship. We're going to be invitational in the come and hear testimony. And third, we are going to be invitational to come and respond. Come corporately worship. The reality is we were made for worship. Anybody that says otherwise just doesn't actually know anything about the human consciousness. We as human beings worship, give praise, focus our attention, seek enjoyment from everything. Right? We avoid things that we don't like and we pursue things that we do. And when we find those things and our enjoyment of them, there is a fixation on them. And we continually go back to those things to try to draw more satisfaction. It's the nature that we were made for. That's what it means to be human, and it is a uh, worship is a distinctive trait of our humanity. And if we worship a God as big as the one that is revealed to us in Scripture, then we cannot help but invite other people to worship Him. Look at the way that David invites us into worship as he begins this. It's from his own personal adoration to a corporate expression of worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad 
And here it is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Again, one of the great challenges that we have in, uh, in Western Christianity specifically is that we have this uh, tendency to apply everything that we read from Scripture and everything that we experience in our walk with Christ singularly. How does it affect me? What do I believe about it? How do I feel about this? Do I like this? Uh, you know, is this my preference? And the Scriptures, though uh, our walk with Christ is an intensely personal thing, the Scriptures always point us into a corporate expression, a corporate walk, a corporate understanding of what it means to walk with the Lord. Uh, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Uh, I, my prayer, His praise will be in my mouth. And then together, let us exalt the name of the Lord. Galena Bible Church seeks to be a place that is not only filled with people, individual people, who have beheld the greatness of glory of God, uh, but also that we seek to be a people who invite others into that awe and into that wonder with us. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of a Sunday morning where you got up and got ready to go to church and you went to church, but you didn't really necessarily feel like it. Right? Like it just wasn't it just wasn't jiving. And so you began the worship and you know, you're singing and you're trying to follow along and you just kind of feel like you're going through the motions. And then you turn over and you look to your right, or you turn over and you look to your left, and you see somebody that very obviously is in it. They are it seems like they are just connected, like every every chord that can be connected to the Father in that moment is there. And as you're looking at it, it suddenly dawns on you that you didn't actually intend to try to connect with God. You were just going through the motions, right? And because of their actions and what they were about, all of a sudden your attention began to say, God, help me. I'm so distracted. I'm so, I'm so frustrated. I'm so worried about this thing that's happening. I'm so worried about what's coming next week. And, and all of a sudden your mind is connected to the Father not because of your own will, not because of your own action, but because of the observance and connection with other believers. It is the invitation to come and see Jesus Christ as our Savior and see Him for who He is, that He is God and King, Deliverer, that He is Messiah, Healer, our High Priest. We have beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, and we can't help but worship. Again, worship goes beyond the musical moment. I, uh, it's one of those things I, I try to be uh, gentle to of like, okay, you know, now we are leaving the time of worship and now we're going to the time of preaching. As if somehow opening up God's Word and seeing Him in the, in the Scriptures is not worship. That our songs 
uh, our worship. Our prayers are worship. Our reading of Scripture is our worship. Check this. When you eat leather later, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, let it be to the glory of God. Our act of eating is worship. As we hang out with friends later on today and we build each other up and joke with each other and encourage each other and, uh, and challenge each other to be more Christ-like in those moments we are in the place of worship. As we are inviting people into our home to dine with us and that, and as we pray as a family or as we uh, have devotions personally and we invite people into those moments, it is worship. And we are inviting people to corporately come and see this God that we are so in awe of. And I hope that that's a true statement of it. That as we think about who God is, that we don't become dull to it. We don't lose our sense of awe and wonder that He is our God, that He is the one that has created us, that He's the one that's made us. And so as we think about calling people into worship, we can't help but worship, and we want to invite them to do so also. Have you ever shown someone something that you thought was so neat and so cool and they gave you kind of an indifferent response to it? You're like, hey, look at this thing. Here, this, this, look at this cool video. Or, you know, hey, look at this interesting uh, curriculum. Or listen to this song. And their response to it was kind of like, yeah, right? It's devastating and it hurts. But the reality is we can't make people love what we love. But if we are actually loving them... We'll invite them to love what we love. We'll invite them to know our Jesus that changes our hearts and lives. See, we do this with everything that we enjoy. New restaurants, favorite sports, or teams, movies, books, bands. If we enjoy it, we usually want to share that enjoyment with other people. And in that way, it kind of completes our love for it by inviting other people to love it too. And sometimes Christian worship looks like singing songs of praise. Sometimes worship looks like intently looking into God's Word to see God's character more clearly. Sometimes worship looks like intense prayer, believing that there is actually a God that hears. The invitation to come is the invitation to worship God in whose likeness we were made whose character we were made to reflect and to invite others to magnify Him with us. We want to be a church that invites people into worship. And not just to worship personally, but to worship corporately together with us. Secondly, the invitation to come is the invitation to come and hear testimony. The invitation we give as a church is the invitation to hear not just what the Lord has done in the past, but what the Lord is doing. Christianity is not a history of how God, or how good God was, but a testimony of how God, or how good God is now. David gave te personal testimony in his invitation to draw them in to see and savor God's goodness. He says, "I sought the Lord, and He answered me." 
And He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. The end of uh, this particular psalm, if you go further down, points... Uh, in this direction, that David's circumstances did not change immediately after God delivered him out of this. And it's one of the fascinating things that I think about as I look through the testimony of Scripture, that God shows up in somebody's life, He delivers them in their moment, but their circumstance doesn't change. And I think that's one of the most encouraging things from the reality of testimony from Scripture is that uh, if we're not careful, we we approach uh, the words of God and we almost use it as a a mystical incantation that it will just make everything go away that we don't want to be there. But the, the reality of it is, when we step into obedience into what it is that God is doing, when God is our refuge, when we call out to Him and He responds, He delivers us in that moment and He perseveres us through our circumstances, which oftentimes don't change. He was still a fugitive, David was. He was still in danger. And for a time at least, he was alone. But God did deliver him. And he preserved his life. And his grim circumstances did eventually begin to change. There was a change that began to take place in David's story and in his life. The future leaders of his kingdom began to come to him. They began to rally around him. And this is important. The promise of prayer does not mean that God will change every difficult thing in your life. But He will preserve you for as long as He has a work for you to do. And He will transform even the difficult circumstances by His presence and perhaps by the presence of others whom He sends to be with you. When we think of testimony, this is ultimately what it is. It's not the story of necessarily that I obeyed God and everything changed. Many times our testimony is, I obeyed God and He began walking with me. He began carrying me through these moments. We do love those testimonies, right? Those powerful ones where it's somebody that's describing their life before Jesus and they were a, a hellion and a drug addict and uh, you know they, they went to jail and they did all these kind of things. And then there was this moment where they came to Jesus and they were clean and sober and they were telling people about Jesus. Everything was changed, right? And we love those. And those are just such powerful testimonies, right? But the reality for most people who are in church today, that may have been a part of your story back in the day, and you may be tempted to go, I don't have a testimony. I don't have a story. Right? My story of, uh, you know, having a drug problem was I got drugged to church on Sunday morning and drugged to church on Sunday night, drugged to church on Wednesday. Right? That was my, that's my story. That's how I don't I don't have I don't have this you know massive uh, come to Jesus moment where the day before I came to Jesus and the day after I came to Jesus by the world standards I look different, but the reality is my testimony is 
that God every day as I come to Him changes my life from what it was from the day before. And He perseveres me day in and day out. As a church, we want to be invitational because God has a story to tell the world through us. Your story matters. Your testimony matters. The testimony of God's Word matters. And to invite people into that is to invite people into the transformational story that is your life and my life. We desire to be a church that is a, a church uh, you know, uh, 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 that's filled with people who aren't yet fixed, right? That, that we're not all put together. We don't want to be the kind of church that we, we walk through the door, we hang up our coat, and we pick up our plastic face and we plastic church face and we put that on and man, we're blessed and everything is wonderful, right? When life isn't. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to say, God has been walking me through the valley of the shadow of death. We want to learn from each other as we walk in our faith. Our invitation is to come and fellowship. To be with real people. To come and be known for who you are. To come and be vulnerable and authentic. To come and hear what God is doing in other people's lives. To come and hear how God's Word is shaping people into who He intends for them to be. As we walk with Him in this journey, we want to be inviting people to come and share in our stories, to come and hear our stories, to come and be with each other in a way that uh, testimony can lead to life transformation. And then the third invitation is the invitation to come and respond. To come and respond. David ends this where he calls to worship. He expresses his worship. He invites people to worship this good and glorious God. He then shares his testimony and then he invites them to respond. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. In 2016, there was a LifeWay research group that did a a research poll, and they concluded that more than half of professing U.S. Christians said that they would be more comfortable sharing their political views with someone than their spiritual views. There was another uh, more recent one that came out, I think it was in 2018, and it said that 60% of uh, uh, professing... uh, believers uh, said that they believed that the Scriptures taught them that it was their responsibility to share their faith with other people. But when it broke it down into demographics and asked a different question, uh, it asked uh, the millennial uh, professing Christians, regular attending Christians, uh, and under uh, if they believed that it was morally right to, con- to lead somebody out of one faith and into another And the vast majority of them said no. That they did not believe it was morally right to... uh, uh, They they did actually... And and this was the contradiction because those same ones said, yes, we believe that it is our responsibility to share our faith, but they believed that it was morally wrong to lead somebody out of one religion and into a different one. 
Our invitation to come is an invitation to respond. David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a try it. Come try it. Come see this. Come experience this. Does that seem kind of indelicate or maybe uh, irreverent to say, to compare God to good food? Right? Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, although God is definitely more than the image of good food suggests, He is definitely not less. And if you would eat a good slice of key lime pie or cheesecake, if you would invite someone to have a perfectly cooked aged steak, if you'd invite somebody to try anything that the hornfishers bake, right? If you would invite anybody to do that and then would look to the God of the universe who is most glorious, most good, most loving, most uh, desirable and say, "Ah, yeah, I would invite somebody to actually respond to Him. That I don't think you've actually seen Him for who He is. Because as good as key lime pie is, God's better. (laughs) Right? Because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to invite people not only to simply know about Jesus and to worship the idea of Jesus, we want to invite them to know Him personally. To have the God of the universe actually change our dead heart. That's our longing. That's our hope. As we've encountered the God of the universe, He's revealed to us how much we are broken. Right? If God is the standard and we are uh, compared against Him, we see just if, if we're His image bearers and we're compared with Him, we see just how far the fall has taken us away from Him. Our love is skewed. Our mercy is skewed. Our generosity is skewed. Our uh, view of worship is skewed. Our ideas of sexuality are skewed. Uh, Our our, uh, uh, passions are misplaced, right? All of these things that should be informed by who God is have been set aside. And as we encounter Him and are changed by Him, and we see Him for who He is, and we ourselves are changed by Him day in and day out, we want to invite other people to personally know Him, to find out who God truly made them to be. We see a day, and hopefully that is today, when Galena Bible Church is invitational. We want to be not just on a Sunday morning where we say, hey, come to the church service. I would, I would encourage us to even change the way we talk about that. We're not inviting people to come to church because this isn't church, right? This is just a building that the church owns. When Jesus comes back for the church, He's not bringing these fancy new LED lights with Him, right? He's coming for us. Right? So I'm inviting you to come to the place where the church will be gathered, or just in, I mean, I understand the nature of it, just simplifies it to say, hey, come to church with me, right? But we, we want to move beyond that. We want to invite people to worship our God, we want to invite people to hear our story, to see how God maybe does change the circumstances, or maybe. He doesn't. And to see how the God of the universe carries us as believers every single day 
in the situations of life that we wish we didn't have to have. All of us know that. and We all long for, God, would You make these things go away? Even so, Lord, would You bring me through it? And then I think the hardest part, ultimately, is the invitation to respond. To call people, not just to intellectually experience this stuff, but to taste and see that the Lord is good. To see and savor Jesus as their greatest treasure. To see Him as that treasure buried in the field that I'm willing to sell everything for so that I can have that treasure, right? That's the picture of Jesus that we want to call people to. We desire to be a church that is invitational. And so as such with that, I would give you an invitation. We've followed even David's format for it. We had uh, a call to worship, an invitation to worship, and we worshiped together. We've had a time of testimony of God's Word and the goodness of what it is that God has been about. So I would give you the invitation to respond. Have you ever seen Jesus to be your greatest treasure? Have you ever seen yourself to be somebody that by your sin is separated from God by nature? And apart from God working in your life, apart from Jesus' death on the cross, we have no hope of being reconciled to God. If, if we could do it any other way, then Jesus died for nothing. And to respond to that in faith and repentance, believing that Jesus is who He said He is and has accomplished what He said He's going to accomplish, and to turn from our sin and look to Jesus and say, God, help me be who You made me to be. If that's you, then I would encourage you at some point in time here, immediately after the service, later this afternoon, sometime this week, as the Holy Spirit puts prompting on you, to find somebody else who is a believer and call and, and, uh, and say, what does this mean? To say, I, I want to taste and see. How do I do that? And let us begin the journey of walking with you as you taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for this invitation, this vision. God, that we, we need to be a church that is invitational. That calls people to come. To see You. Not to see us. Not to see our programs. Uh, not to uh, just be involved in this as if it were a club. But we are inviting people to come into our lives and into our circles and into our friendships for the single and sole purpose that they may see You. So God, help us in that. Help us to be people that are bold. Help us to be people that are willing to call people to respond. To invite them to taste and see that the Lord is good. And God, as we move forward with this, uh, uh, this vision as a church of just clarifying what is, it, what is it that we're about? How is it that we're moving forward? What is it that we're making sure that we're staying within the parameters that You're leading us as a church to, to be about and to be for? God, would you, would you help us as You invited us into relationship with You, help us to invite others into relationship with us to You. We love You. In name that we pray. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. 
feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.